Father God, thank you that you are indeed the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are all of that and so much more that we cannot even begin to imagine today. Now, Lord, show us what it means for you to be king of our lives, to be king of our hearts, to be king of our needs, to be king of our challenges, to be king of our burdens, to be king of our hopes, to be king of our families and our marriages and our finances and our health and our world and our culture and our future and all of that. Father, show us how to make you king even more than you are right now. That's my prayer for me and for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to share with you something that you didn't know to start with. Tomorrow is Queen Elizabeth's funeral. You didn't know that, did you? You haven't seen that in any of the news. It's not been in any of the headlines. It hasn't just dominated our society for the last number of days, has it? Starts tomorrow at 11 o'clock in London. That's 5 o'clock in Dallas a.m., in case you were wondering. They think that as many as a million people are going to be so-called attending. They can't get into Westminster, but they'll be around. They'll be on the procession. They'll be physically in proximity. 500 heads of state are going to be attending. President Biden got there yesterday. He's at a reception today, and he'll be attending tomorrow. They say that online or on television, 4.1 billion people are going to watch this service. It will be the most televised event in human history, is what they say. All of that tomorrow. Well, the crowds are already remarkable. You've seen the coverage of the crowds waiting outside to get inside Westminster to pay respects where her coffin is located. Do you know that as of yesterday, that line was 17 hours long? People waiting all night in that line to get in to pay respects. King Charles and Prince William actually went out yesterday and greeted people in the line as they were waiting to be able to get in. And America is doing what we can as well. This was the scene outside the British Embassy shortly after the announcement of the Queen's passing. A week ago Thursday, the NFL began its season, uh, Thursday night football, with a moment of silence in the stadium for Queen Elizabeth. Apple gave her their web landing page, the homepage of their website, after her passing. It is estimated that uh, Americans, perhaps more than any nation outside the U.K., are going to be watching this, following this, engaged in this. This is Old North Church in Boston. Janet and I have been there. Perhaps you've been there. It's where Paul Revere hung the two lanterns, remember, warning Americans that the British were coming. Remember that whole story? That's actually a statue of Paul Revere in front of the church. You wouldn't think there'd be any place that'd be less British than there. But even there, there's a book of condolences you can sign for the queen, even in the Old North Church, when now King Charles, I have to get used to saying that, King Charles III made his first address, gave his first speech as king. It was televised live on NBC, CBS, and ABC. CBS said they had 2.8 million viewers. By contrast, the previous week, when President Biden made an address, none of the networks chose to carry it live. So there's a contrast here, isn't there? It's ironic when you think about it. That's the queen on the left. That's her great-great-great-grandfather, George III, on the right. We fought a war against him. We rebelled against him. We had that Declaration of Independence, remember that? The War for Independence, all that against her great-great-great-grandfather. 
and here we are now absolutely enthralled with the royalty. It's a remarkable thing. As you're seeing all of the fascination with this, as you're seeing, and not just around her death. This has been the case for a long time in American culture. Some of that is political. They are a very significant geopolitical partner with us. Some of that is just interest in history and pop and circumstance and all that. But I saw a story last week that when I saw it, I thought, okay, I need to talk about that. That needs to be kind of my point this Sunday. A scholar was making the point that we Americans, because we pay no taxes to support the monarchy like they do in the UK and around the Commonwealth because they are in no sense in authority over us. They can't tell us anything we have to do. We are in no sense under their authority. We get all the upsides of the monarchy and none of the downsides. We get all the good part and none of the bad part. We get to have a king when we want a king. And only when we want a king. We get to have all of the monarchy we want. And that's a point that I think applies not just to the king of England, but to the king of the universe. The reason we've been singing about God as king today is because of this scripture. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. That's who he is. But a lot of Americans don't know that. More than 90% of Americans say they believe in God. Less than 50% are members of a church, synagogue, or mosque. Lowest percentage in American history. Maybe you saw the report last week, the Pew Research Forum, disclosing that if current trends continue, less than 50% of Americans will even claim to be Christian within a few decades. Well, I happened to hear an interview last week with the lead researcher on that report. It was on NPR, and they were asking her if that means that Americans are less spiritual, and she said, absolutely not. She said, Americans are as spiritual as we've ever been. We tell people that's why more than 90% say we believe in God or a higher power or some larger spiritual being. It's just we do spirituality the way we want to now. That was her point. The Pew Research Forum lead researcher was saying, that our spirituality is like a buffet. You know, if you go to a buffet after chapel here and you eat this but don't eat that, you take this and don't take that, and you get what you want out of this. You get to do this the way you want to do it. It's like having a king to whom you pay no taxes. It's like having a royal family that has no authority. You get all of the king that you want is how our culture addresses even the king of the universe these days. C.S. Lewis saw that coming, of course, as brilliant as he was. And in Mere Christianity, he had a description of this idea of God as kind of a life force that has stood the test of time. This is what he said. When you're feeling fit and the sun is shining and you do not want to believe that the whole universe is a mere mechanical dance of atoms, it is nice to be able to think of this great mysterious force rolling on through the centuries and carrying you on its crest. If, on the other hand, you want to do something rather shabby, the life force being only a blind force with no moral uh, stand or mind, it will never interfere with you like that troublesome God we learned about when we were children. The life force is sort of a tame God. You can switch it on when you want, but it will not bother you. And then he said, all the thrills of religion and none of the cost. 
Is the life force the greatest achievement of wishful thinking the world has yet seen? A king when you want a king. Well, denying gravity doesn't change gravity. person that jumps out of the 10-story window doesn't break the law of gravity. They illustrate it. If you're hitting an anvil with a bamboo shaft, you're not hurting the anvil. You're just breaking the bamboo, right? Jesus began his ministry by announcing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When he comes back, his name will be King of kings and Lord of lords. In the Bible, God's a king. All through the Bible, God's a king. The most common description of God in the Bible is as a king. Well, we Americans don't really connect with that very well. We don't like kings except when we want a king, as we've been saying today. The kind of king we're talking about here is not a monarchy in Great Britain that you think about when you want. This is a medieval king that owns everything. If you were living in a medieval kingdom or the kingdom of the Roman Empire in the New Testament, the king owns your chairs. The king owns your clothes. He's king on Monday, not just Sunday. He's king of private, not just public. You're breathing his air. You're living in the king's world. That's the kind of king God is, whether we acknowledge that fact or not. Someone said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Here's a better way to say that. God said it, and that settles it, whether I believe it or not. But here's the choice you have to make. God is king, whether you believe in a king or not. God is God, whether you believe God is God or not. That's not in dispute. God's not going to die on the throne. There will never be a state funeral for God. God can't get voted out. The anti-monarchy movement going on right now with the death of the queen and especially in the commonwealth, none of that is ever going to affect the king of kings. But the choice you have to make is whether to make him your king. That choice you do have. That's the freedom he entrusted to you. So why would you want to do that? Well, I can think of two reasons, very briefly. First of all, one day you're going to stand before this king in judgment, and you only have today to be ready. That's one reason. You're one day closer to eternity than ever before. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There will be no atheists on the other side of death. One day you will stand before this king. You will, so will I. All of us will. The Bible says no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. The day, that's the day of judgment, will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that we have built on the foundation of Christ as king survives, we receive a reward. If it's burned up, we suffer loss. We are saved, but only as one through the fire. You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But your reward's in heaven. Your reward's in heaven. Not your attendance, but your reward's are dependent on the degree to which you make Christ your king on earth. So that's one reason to make him your king. Here's the other. That's a little negative, isn't it? Thinking about judgment. Here's the positive side of that. 
when you make him your king, you receive the best that the omnipotent, omniscient king of the universe can give. You position yourself to receive what only the king can give. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. I don't know what profession is yours, of course. Mine happens to be obviously ministry. If I could get half an hour with Charles Haddon Spurgeon, trust me, I'd take it. Greatest preacher, I would think, certainly in Baptist history, some would say in English-speaking history, I would love to get some time with him, love to get some advice from Charles Spurgeon. If I were in finance, I wouldn't mind a conversation with Warren Buffett, you know? If I'm thinking about investing in some way, I wouldn't mind his advice, wouldn't mind a little wisdom from him. Roger Federer just retired or has announced his retirement. If he could be my tennis coach, I'd take that. I'd say that's a good thing. Tiger Woods isn't playing much, although he says he'll play more next year. If he was willing to meet you on the driving range, would you take him up on it? If the immortal, invisible God ever wise is willing to lead your life, willing to meet your needs, willing to heal your hurts, willing to carry your burdens, would you not take that deal? Why wouldn't you take that deal? So last question, how do we do that? How do we do that? Funeral will be over tomorrow. Eventually, all of this will fade from the headlines. But Jesus is still going to be king. How do you make him your king? First of all, we never want to forget this. Trust him as your Savior. Do you know that you've asked Jesus to forgive your mistakes and be your Lord? Do you know you've done that? I never want to assume that. I read not long ago about a pastor at a church. He had not been there very long. and He was driving by the church one Saturday, and there was a group of people coming in. And he asked what the group was about. Asked someone coming in. They said, well, they've been invited by a friend of the group. Well, what's it about? Well, they called a prayer meeting to pray for the salvation of their new pastor. They weren't sure he actually was a Christian. And he came to the prayer meeting and got saved. Never assume. Seminary degrees do not confer salvation. Church attendance, chapel attendance doesn't confer salvation. Do you know that there's been that time you've asked Jesus to forgive your mistakes. It's that simple. You could do that today. Just get alone with God and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for the mistakes in my life. I ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I give myself to you. It's that simple. And then if you do that, please tell a Christian what you've done so they can help you to grow in your faith. All right? That's where it starts. The way to make him your king is first make him your savior. Second, decide today you want to surrender your life to his purpose. Make that decision today. Decide right now you want him to be your king. Decide right now, whatever it takes, whatever he asks, whatever the cost, that this is a good deal, that you're trading your finitude for his omniscience, that you're trading your fallenness for his omnipotence, that you're trading all of your problems for all of his solutions. Just make that decision. You won't carry it out perfectly. None of us does. But if you haven't made him your king, decide right now to make that paradigm shift, to reframe your life. Say, you know what? I hadn't thought about it that way before. 
never been really anything I've considered so much, but I'm thinking about that now, and I'm deciding right now, stake in the ground. God is my help. I'm going to live for God as my king. Make that choice. Right now, make that choice. We're going to lock the doors. not going to let you out until you make that choice. Make that decision right now. Then third, begin every day by living it out. You can't give them tomorrow because tomorrow doesn't exist. So when tomorrow comes, first thing you do, get alone with your king, make him king of the day. Real simple. You don't need to learn Greek to do it. Just say, Lord, I'm crowning you the king of this day. I'm getting off the throne today. I'm putting you on my throne. Pray through your day. Lord, lead me with this. Help me with this. As you go through that day, when you have problems, you trust him to your king. When good things happen, you thank your king. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you, empower you, control you, use you, lead you. Start every day by getting off the throne. Someone said, if you want to get along with God, stay off his throne. That's a daily decision. And then last, measure success by obedience by the degree to which you make him your king, because that's how he measures success. That's what's on the final exam. And you only have today to be ready. That's the invitation. Let me close by telling you that if Queen Elizabeth II could be here, if she could have testified here, that would have been a coup, get her to come and talk to our chapel, right? If that, There would have been some security if that had happened. If she were here today, and much more now that she's where she is today, much more now that she is where she is today. She would agree with everything you've just heard. When she was 21 years old, not yet queen, remember that famous address she made to the nation, when she said, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. God, help me to make good my vow, and God bless all of you who are willing to share in it. She said at the age of 21, when she turned 90, she participated in this book, The Servant Queen and the King She Serves. It's all about her faith, about what Jesus means to her, about how Jesus is the Lord of her life, the King She Serves. That book was produced by the Track Society of the UK, published in paperback, 100,000 copies, given away for free, distributed all over the UK and the Commonwealth to be used for Bible studies and as conversation starters with non-Christians. They ran out and had to print another 150,000 of them. As the queen at the age of 90 used that means to share her faith with her subjects that they would make God their true king. In her Christmas address in 2014, she said, for me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life. And then last month, when the Lambeth Conference met, that's an occasional conference of the bishops of the Church of England, she couldn't attend in person as she has in the past, but she sent to them a letter, an address. And in that letter, the Queen said to those Anglican bishops, throughout my life, the message and teachings of Christ have been my guide, and in them I find hope. The queen made Christ her king, and I promise you, today she's so grateful she did. Let's make the same decision. Pray with me.
I don't know a better day than the day before the state funeral with 4.1 billion people watching of the Queen of England for us to make her king our king. First of all, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? Do you know you have? If not, pray with me right now in your heart to God. And if you know you have, pray for anyone in this room that hasn't. But right now in your heart, just say these words to God. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you that Jesus died to pay for my sins. I turn from them now. I ask you to forgive me for them. I invite Jesus to be the king of my life. I will live for you as long as I live. Thank you for making me your child. And then as we continue to pray, if you prayed that for the first time, let me urge you to share that good news with a fellow Christian so they can help you to grow, to take your next steps in your faith. If you know you've settled that, would you right now settle who will be the king of your life? Will you right now abdicate the throne? Would you right now just say to Jesus, I'm making you the king of my life. Whatever it takes, whatever you ask, whatever the cost. Would you tell Jesus that right now? Now would you ask the Holy Spirit to help you make Christ your king today. Turn your day over to him. Ask him to lead you, forgive you where needed, empower you. Ask the Spirit to help you make Christ your king. If you'll do that every day, one day you will hear the king say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And that will be worth it all. King of kings and Lord of lords, our Father God, how we thank you for inviting us into your kingdom, for inviting us even today into the abundant life, the joyful life, the empowered life, the victorious life, the more than conqueror's life available to us to the degree that we make you our king. May that be the commitment of every mind and every heart in this chapel this day. I pray for me. I pray for us. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was praying, I have to say this, I guess. Jan and I watch Jack Graham's uh, sermon every Sunday morning. Pastor Preston Wood, he's been a longtime friend, and we always do that on Sunday morning ourselves. He was in Romans chapter 8 this morning, and toward the end, he was talking about my favorite paragraph in Scripture. So hear these words as God's promise to those who make him their king. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 8, 35, 39. That's written for you. Make him your king. God bless. Have a great week.